Today we are talking to Carl Hughes, the CTO of The Grade Network, and we discuss the next generation of programming influencers, his upcoming talk this week at Code Smash, and his responsibilities as CTO. Carl was a fantastic interview packed with value. All of this right here, right now on the Modern CTO Podcast. Here we go. This is the Modern CTO Podcast. So you just want to tell me real quick again about what uh, grade is? Yeah, so the grade network, what we do is we um, hook K through 12 teachers up with college students studying to be teachers um, and they'll grade their papers for them. And so typically what that looks like is we go to the school, we uh, basically sign them up for a package of grading hours. They distribute those hours out to all their English teachers. And then throughout the year, as they have more assignments, essay assignments, they want to send out to their students, um, they'll collect them and then have us grade those papers for them. So unlike automated, fully automated grading solutions that only work for multiple choice or uh, math kind of questions, we, we grade full essays. So short answers, essays, long written content that at some point computers might grade, but not any time in the you know immediate future. So no machine learning AI is doing this. You actually have people grading. <laughs> That's right. Yeah. I mean, obviously, long term, you know, the whole natural language processing mixed with some kind of AI is going to augment or help our graders. I don't know if it'll ever completely replace them for every essay, but maybe there's situations where we can, you know, do some of the easier work that way. Yeah. It's like we're not just grading on like grammar and spelling. We're grading for like the actual content, like the themes uh, of a of an essay that's written about a you know a piece of literature, and that's so hard for computers to sort of break down into digestible bits at this point. Someday, right. once again, maybe we'll be there five, ten years. I don't know. Yeah. But um, at this point, we we kind of position ourselves as this manual um, the the sort of manual solution because the automated ones won't be you know good enough for a while. Yeah, and there's always that like in between of the hybrid space where you can build technologies to assist you. You got it. Yeah. I mean, even if automated grading does become a reality, everyone who does it is going to need a large data set of real graded essay papers. And that's what we're going to have that, you know, upstarts in five years when this becomes more possible won't have. So I think we'll be in a good spot to do it, even if we aren't today. Do you think technology is reshaping education in the sense that the biggest brands, the, you know, MITs, the Dukes and stuff that they'll kind of die out or... And then it's going to be an exchange of, you know, more real value education, like being able to go and work with a doctor. Um, how do you think that's going to play out? That's a good question, Joel. I mean, the student debt crisis that we're we're entering into is is massive. I mean, this is billions and billions of dollars that the U.S. owns in debt that. Um, but a student or people who graduate with some degrees will never make enough money to pay off. I mean, if you have $100,000 in loans and you're going to make 35 to 50K a year, uh, how do you ever get to a point where you can pay those off and uh, buy a house or a car or whatever it is you want to you know, save for your kids to go to college? It just is going to get unreal. And I don't know what the solution is going to be. I mean, I do really appreciate um, I, I went to college and, you know, it took me six and a half years, but I did get a four-year degree, and yeah. um, I, uh, I think it was beneficial for me. Do I think everyone needs it? No, I don't. And do I think you need it, um, let's say, a four-year computer science degree to be a good software engineer? No, I don't. Um, so I think there's a lot of room for people to, um, for this the 
I don't know, something's going to shake out there. And I don't know if it's going to look like online courses or if it's going to look like um, some kind of augmented classrooms where, Ooh. you know, fewer teachers can teach more people. We'll see. But it'll be, um, you know, this is a real, it's going to be a real problem in our lifetime, I think. I think it's, it, well, for me, I don't think it's a well, the, the debt's a definitely a problem. It's a problem when I'm at a restaurant and all the servers have higher education than I do, right? Right, yeah, uh, that, totally. That's a problem. And yep. yeah, so I think I think that's kind of when I started noticing it is then I started talking to the, the waiters and waitresses and they're all, they all have four-year degrees in business and they all have college debt and they're all, like you said, they're making that like 30 to 50. And the answer to the question that you asked, and I know it was rhetorical, is, you know, what are they going to do? How are they going to pay it off? It's math. They're not. They're going to die yeah, with that. Yeah. And in some states, that debt can even get passed to your kids, which is to me- Are you kidding me? Even more that's, insane. That's a thing? No, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'll send you some articles. You can put them in here. Uh, I, I, I have like a huge list of articles I collect on the student debt crisis because it really is the bubble of our time that is no one's talking about, I don't think, or not enough people are talking about. It. Oh, wow. Um, but yeah, it's it's huge. And, you know, even if uh, you start to forgive it, that just means that's money the U.S. government doesn't get and that we all pay in taxes. So at some point, you know, this the, the rubber's got to meet the road. Everyone's talking about the Bitcoin bubble. Let's talk about the education bubble, right? <laughs> yeah, I mean, there's only a few thousand, like, I don't know how many people invest in Bitcoin, but there's, say, say it's thousands of people, and they're mostly in the upper middle level brackets of income anyway. So they're not like, it's not going to hurt them when they lose a few thousand bucks on Bitcoin. Right. This is going to be hundreds of thousands of dollars for, you know, millions of people who graduate from college, which is going to be huge. Ah, uh, let's run away from that conversation. Uh, <laughs> yeah, right. You, let's get to something happy. What do you, I know. Let's bring it back up, people. We, Eye of the Tiger? Eye of the Tiger? Or Eminem? <laughs> <laughs> um, so yeah. I got to put the hoodie back on now. Uh, what are your responsibilities as the So everyone's always asked me, hey, what are the responsibilities of CTO? And, I'm, and I always respond to them, look, it completely varies based on where your business at, what your business needs, what your type of product is, what your industry, everything varies. There's obviously some core principles that flow. But for you, how do yep. you see your responsibilities as CTO uh, at the Grade Network? Yeah, good question. I wrote an article on this probably back in 2000. Oh, I think it was maybe 15 or something. Um, but it was kind of, I was at another startup and I was in a similar role where I was kind of like only engineer slash just hiring my first couple engineers and like moving from, you know, only doing all code to like managing a team. And I worked with some uh, offshore you know people in India as well. And so I was doing just like a wide variety of things. And I was very... Um, I don't know. I think at first I was very uncomfortable and unsure of myself. Like, is this normal? Is this what I'm supposed to be doing? And as I started reading more and talking to more people in similar roles with startups and small companies, I realized that this is actually getting, there's a whole kind of industry of people who do this. Um, I don't know if, you know, we, we identify as an industry or whatever, but like the, the role is very, is varied. Um, so everything from architecture and planning uh, even up to like product planning is on my responsibility list. Um, I've had, you know, contractors come in and help with design or uh, sometimes with individual uh, projects and things. But typically all that's kind of in my responsibility um, area. And then moving into actually writing code, actually figuring out what the technical architecture of our, our systems are going to be. And then doing a lot of that is on my plate. And then um, making sure that every engineer on my team is also able to work with uh, the specifications we drew up and all that and make sure they're staying busy, but also have all their questions answered um, and all that kind of thing. 
And then finally, getting stuff tested, getting pull requests merged, all that's kind of my responsibility as well. So uh, for me, at, at the grade network for the last year and a half, I've actually been the only engineer, although I've had a contractor on and off as well. Um, but at my last role with Packback, I was managing a team. And so those the roles have varied a bit. But to be honest, it's like, it's kind of everything. And then when you have a team, it's filling in the gaps wherever the team lacks experience. So for example, uh, we never had a, a dedicated DevOps person because we were just too small to justify it. And uh, so my role ended up being, you know, do a little code, do a little this, do a little that. And then also you're going to do DevOps because no one else knows how to. Um, so very, uh, why it's, it, it varies a lot, but at the end of the day, it all boils down to, um, and this is something you mentioned on your blog a lot. And I, I really appreciate this is like, what does the business need from the technology and how do we sort of merge these two worlds together? So taking, um, everything that the business needs uh, for the customers that we have and, uh, that is essential to our growth and saying, how can the technology we could build or have built help it and improve it? Um, and kind of tying it into key metrics like that. That's all sort of in the space of the CTO at this phase of company. Yeah. Cause that's, you know, the easiest, I always like to look at where I get lost because I can't help getting lost, but what I can do is pay attention to when it happens and minimize the time between it happening and me getting back on track. Right. So I noticed that whenever my brain shifts from business and value to writing a feature or a spec or something like that, it's, it's like in impossible for me to maintain both simultaneously. It's either I'm very hard writing yeah. the code or I'm not. So the way I do it is I use the, you know, the in and out macro micro approach where like I'll go, you know, write and then I'll come back out and remind myself of the business stuff. I put, I'm a big fan of, uh, if you look at my personal calendar, it looks, there's like 800 events a month because I yep. <laughs> I put reminders in my phone that recur, like, don't forget about this. Like Elon Musk thinks principles comes up like every two weeks. Like, think, <laughs> it's pretty, like I like yeah, that. People ask me, yeah. oh, what's the advice? And I, I mean, like, you know, it's find the, you know, the, the eight things that like really mean something to you, like deep down and then putting them in front of you, like all the time. Like that's, that's yeah. the hard part. The hard, it, it, it's the hard part is not the advice or knowing what to do. The, the hard part is taking that simplistic idea and putting it in front of you over and over and over and over and over. Yep. And I have a very similar system. I think uh, yeah, I use a mix of Trello boards with calendar reminders and uh, emails to myself that all just kind of like force me to remember these certain things at certain times and force me to reschedule time to do things like, uh, you know, we talked about earlier, like keeping up with my network. I have to have to schedule time to do that every month or so. And so um, all that stuff, if you can automate it to a point where you don't have to keep it in the forefront of your brain, saves you a lot of trouble as, as you, you know, your responsibilities change and everything else. Absolutely. So right now you're the, the only developer or the only engineer at Grade Network, but you have contractors come in and assist you with things from time to time. Is that yeah. right? And I'm yeah, and I'm working on actually making my first full-time hire here in the next month. So we'll have somebody else coming on soon to onboard. But yeah, that's the situation. Excellent. So that that'll give you some more time to do things like speaking and writing. I, I noticed you do a good amount of writing. You're doing some speaking now. That's exciting. Yeah, definitely. That was one of my um, projects this year, sort of, um, was to get into speaking and learning what it took to get to conferences and get, uh, you know, 
basically get your way paid to go to conferences, but also get to like learn from other people, get feedback on my ideas. And so most of the talks I've been doing are pretty technical and kind of specific to certain things, but um, I've been, you know, sort of experimenting with a lot. So I applied to probably close to 30 or 40 um, conferences in the last six months. And uh, I got accepted to, I want to say five and I um, scheduling didn't work out with one, so I, I'm doing four of them. And so, yeah, it's exciting. It'll be fun to see how that goes the rest of the year. How far in advance do you have to apply for a conference? About six months in most cases. It can vary. Some of the smaller conferences, maybe it's as early as three or four months away when you apply. But a lot of the bigger ones are six months to a year even. Do they do they set it up to where they say, okay, you apply for a talk, and if we choose you as a talk, we pay for A, B, and C? Or do they set it up to where... You apply and then you have to negotiate it. Yeah, usually um, conferences are pretty willing to, they have sponsors, so they're pretty willing to cover air travel, your cost of the conference. Um, usually they'll cover a hotel as well. There's there's uh, slight variations and I've been trying to be more selective and just pick the ones that'll cover everything so I don't have to pay out of pocket. Um, we're such a small company at the Great Network that we don't have a budget for, for conferences yet. So um but yeah, most of the time they'll pay for almost everything, uh, at least the better ones. And uh, it's, um, you know, that that part is great. But it also, you know, for me, I have friends all over the country. So, for example, in November, I got uh, accepted to speak at a conference. And so I when I didn't take their hotel stipend, instead just went and stayed with my friend because I hadn't caught up with him since college. So nice. there's there's all sorts of other pros out there. You know, you get to go travel and visit other people, too. Yeah. So when are you speaking next? Uh, next up, next week, I'm speaking at CodeMash, which is in Sandusky, Ohio, and that's a pretty uh, eclectic conference for web developers and software engineers. Uh, they cover all sorts of languages and topics. I think there's like, it seems like there's at least five or six tracks um, of, of learning at a time going. So it's very, you know, a lot going on, which will be cool because there'll be a lot of stuff to see. Um, it's also challenging because I have to pick like a favorite track to go, you know, or a few, you know, one pick, one talk per hour to go see. And that's always tough, but yeah. How many people are going to be there at the whole conference? Oh, I don't know, actually. Yeah, that's a good question. I, I imagine it's in the, it's got to be in the hundreds or low thousands because it's a big one, but I don't know for sure. You'd have to look on their, their website. And there will be like three people at, in your room? <laughs> yeah, right. I, I, that's what, it, well, you know, you laugh, Joel, but they put me at the last time slot on a, um, a Friday. And so I have a feeling that a lot of people will be checked out by then. Did you get Especially because I'm talking. Well, it's fine. I mean, I, 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 I'm totally like very early on in my process of doing this. So I'm not offended by any means. Like getting accepted is awesome. To me. Dude, that, so that's I'm the win. The win is going through the process. Yeah. You know, when you're the keynote, yeah. it's, it's, you're done. Yeah. It's like you've done it. <laughs> you, you grind, you went through the grind, you had the struggle, you had to hustle, you went through everything and you made it to the top. And now it's just like, all right, at the top now like so this is the this is the fun part you know taking the crap yeah. spot and you know buying yeah. the bus ticket because you can't afford airfare <laughs> yeah <laughs> yeah 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 but it's it's it'll it'll be fun and uh you know even last time when i gave this talk in november i got a lot of great feedback from people in the audience and learned things from other speakers as well about you know specific to the topic i was giving a talk on and uh so it's great to get feedback on your ideas and kind of hear other people validate them as well oh, tell me about it that's what i've been so pumped about the blog is because you know i'm sitting here on this collection of writings and i'm you know talking to my editor and stuff and like you know this was a couple months ago before we started putting 
content out. And I'm like, I know that this is valuable. Like I know that it is, but I'm still nervous, you know? Yeah. 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 It, it is. It, I think you'll get over that pretty quickly. It seems like you already have a bit, but, um, I, I think I've been writing on my blog probably for five years or so. And, um, it, at first it was a little intimidating. It was a little like, what am I doing? I have no qualifications for this. And even now I, I, I don't know that I do, but I, uh, I've stuck with it. Just, I feel more comfortable with it, even if I'm not really, uh, you know, the smartest person in the world. But you know what? That's interesting. Cause I, I messaged out to every CTO that had sub- registered for the book. Right. And I said, mm-hmm. Hey, you know, I looked them up. There was like 2000 of them. So it took me about hundred people a day for 20 days. It was like all I did, wow. like mad scientist yeah. style. Um, so I looked them up, read about them, said, all right, cool. This, this person looks awesome. Let's ask them if they have any experience that they want to share, like come on the show. Right. So I started messaging out, messaging out. And I got two types of responses back. The first one is, yeah, I'd love to. And I was like, woo, that's awesome. And then the second one was, I don't know if I'd have anything valuable to share. My experience is going from developer to CTO. It's probably, you know, rare. Right. Yeah. So I started, you know, I collected all these responses and I'm looking at them and my mind was blown away and there's not really any studies or anything like that because it's just such a new exploding field. Right. But yep. from the numbers I've gathered and the people I've talked to and, and all this great stuff, you know, we're looking at 60 to 80% of all CTOs are developer to CTOs. Mm-hmm. Bl- blew yep. my mind. Yeah. I was thinking they, they were all like, you know, uh, medicine company executives and it's just on the 60th floor, you know, right? Right. Yeah. Well, there's, I mean, there are by numbers a lot more small businesses than there are large ones. Um, but I, I find that true as well, Joel. I, I'm in a couple different CTO sort of um, meet it, meet up groups here in Chicago. And at both of them, most of us are pretty new to the whole management thing and the whole, you know, executive level thing. And we're, we're all just like, figuring out how it is to make that transition away from being just a hands-on developer. Uh, I say just a hands-on developer, but you know, it just feels like a totally different world. That, that's, that's honestly one of the biggest themes in my book because, and it's not, it wasn't even intentional. It's just what happened uh, because, you know, I meet with these CTOs, I work with some venture capital companies and they go in and inject capital. And usually it's a developer and a business person or a marketing person. And they're going to, you know, build a, a business from their, MVP or prototype, right? And the the hardest thing for the developer to do is to become the CTO because they'll wear the the, the, the label, yeah. oh, I'm a CTO. And then when you start probing them about CTO things, they're just like, I don't know. And so you're one of the the pivot points or the crossroads that I've you know seen recurring over and over is yep. directly tied to their ability to requantify their value. Yeah, no, I was going to say that's you have to measure yourself in completely different metrics than you did as a developer. So lines of code are not important. Uh, the you know quality of the code coming out, I mean, that does matter, but it's also not your number one metric. Like what matters is keeping the people that work for you happy and keeping productivity high and you know keeping in line with what the business needs. And so it becomes a totally different mentality. And I, when I was managing a team and less of the, you know, wasn't in this role where I'm the only developer, what I would do is block out some time in the day to to code and then other times of the day to do basically just people and management type stuff. And I had to have a separation because those two things you kind of mentioned are very different in your head and keeping them both on, you know, 
on tap at the same time is almost impossible. Yeah, it's a big it's a big culture shift, not just in our world, but in the global economy where, you know, in the 50s, we imagined that you would go get a job and work at the same company for 60 years and retire. You had one job, you did one thing, and that was it, right? Now yep. we're in an economy where people are programming in the afternoon, Ubering at night, baristaing three days a week. Like you have these multiple ideas and these multiple skills that you use. And that's just a totally different economy. Totally. And one of ours, the one that we're running into is that transition from developer and yep. CTO. Yeah. Yep. So what are you talking about? At, at, first of all, <laughs> I know it's Code Mash now, mm -hmm. but this whole week I've been calling it Code Smash. I don't know. I don't know why I've been so pumped up. Like every day, I'm like, "Yo, we're gonna like talk to Carl from Code Smash." And then, and yeah. then this morning, Jake's like, "Dude, you got to stop saying that. It's Code Mash." And I'm like, "Oh man, it needs to be. We need to." And then the icon needs to be a fist. So I'm gonna talk to the branding people over there. It's gonna be called Code Smash. Right? Yeah. Send, send them an email. I don't have much sway yet. Uh, maybe next. <laughs> uh, yeah. So what I'm talking about. Um, so I, I have a few talks kind of uh, that I've been submitting. One of them, the one that's gotten the most acceptances and has kind of, I guess, so I guess it, you know, ends up being the most popular from that perspective, but it's about testing distributed systems. So for the last few years, um, when I've been working with startups, we've built stuff on microservices. And um, so the technical challenge there is not only do you have to test each microservice internally, but you also then have to test them in conjunction with one another. And those testing across those boundaries is, is to me the most interesting and challenging part of architecting tests for that sort of setup. So if you're a developer and you've been writing unit tests, you got no problem with, you know, mocking stuff out and writing up a unit test and making your assertions and it all is good. But once you've got like five or six microservices feeding into a single page front end application and maybe some proxy layers in there, how do you test all that? And it, it does get to be pretty uh, tricky. So in the talk, I kind of go over some of the like less on the implementation of actual tools that do it and more on the mentality and the philosophy of how you break that system up in the layers and think about it in terms of this kind of test versus that kind of test. So you kind of, you know, you give the value through the heuristic. I think of it like this. Yep, exactly. Yeah. I mean, because at these conferences, you know, everybody's writing code in a different language and uses a different tool set. So I'm not trying to tell them, you know, this is exactly how you do it in Java and PHP and JavaScript. I mean, those are all just so wildly different that I couldn't cover that in one hour. But uh, to give you like an idea of like, here's at a high level what this system looks like and here's how the testing layers fit into it, that that can be done. Yeah, that's why, you know, I, I was a big fan of um, Martin Fowler, Ben Ornstein, yep. Metz, like those types of people, because when I'd read their content, while, you know, you know, Ben and Sandy were Ruby, you have Martin over in like Java and, but the point was, yeah, the code samples are there, but you could virtually like they're, they're, you don't need to know necessarily about the code. It's more about the structure and the heuristics of, of putting it together. Right. And if you're out as an advice for anybody who's looking to speak at conferences, if you're looking to speak at conferences, it helps a lot if your uh, talks are language and framework agnostic. Um, so. The reason is there's just a ton of conferences that take general talks. There's only a few that take, say, PHP or even more specific one framework in PHP or, or like a content management system like WordPress. You know, there's just only so many places you can go with that. But if you go into something a little more general, it's a lot easier to get accepted. So I shouldn't go publish my own micro library on GitHub and give a talk just on that. <laughs> 
<laughs> yeah, I mean, it's funny because I actually some of the talks at conferences are basically that. Usually, people can only pull that off if they work at a place like Google and they have enough like swing behind them that people just want to see them talk about anything, or yeah. uh, if they're like a conference sponsor and then they can kind of talk about whatever they want. But for those of us who are unknowns, it helps to have a more generally applicable talk. But I have three stars on my project, and only two of the accounts yeah. are me. <laughs> <laughs> right? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I was looking at your. Uh, I love that when you were speaking at this conference, you then went and wrote content and produced content about the topics you're most excited to see at the conference. Yeah, definitely. I mean, I'm a big fan of like, if a conference is going to do me the favor of allowing me to come speak, uh, then I should do at least a little bit to help market it, you know, what they're doing. And plus, it's just uh, an easy uh, an easy idea for content. I think one of the hardest things when you have a blog for a number of years is keeping good ideas flowing, you know, and stuff that you're passionate about writing a, a little bit about. And uh, so, you know, sometimes some months I'll come up with a ton of topics. Some months I just barely have anything. And so this was like a, I've always done this uh, at conferences that I'm going to or speaking at, just write a little pre-conference blog post about the five or six talks that I'm most interested in seeing. And usually I'll mention the people giving those talks on Twitter just to say, hey, you know, here's a shout out. Like, thanks for coming to the conference and speaking. I, I'm looking forward to it. Yeah. I use the, uh, Gary V style document don't create. Have you heard of that? No, I haven't. All right. He's this uh, business media guy, tech, and he's early investor in a lot of the tech companies, but he's mainly like a business uh, guy who's really good about selling and communicating and mm -hmm. super, super smart. Uh, so he always talks about uh, document don't create. And that really helped me get over my hump with the book as well, because what I had been doing was sitting down trying to come up with good ideas to share. And instead mm, yeah. now I just, I look at whatever's happening to me, uh, whatever, you know, cause every, all the issues recur, right? It, there's nothing new, right? Like, I'm not, that was the main premise of the book is like, I'm not running into new stuff. It's everybody making the same mistakes and I've made the same mistakes too. And then I figured out how to do with them and now I don't make those mistakes. I'm definitely not perfect, yep. but like, you know, I want to communicate this. So now I'm just kind of writing about, uh, I let whatever's happening around me inspire me. And then I don't care if I cover the same topic in a different context with a different story. So uh, in your post, you listed the five talks that you're most excited to see at Code Smash. Um, 2018. It's like a monster truck jam. We got Hulk hands. And that I'm just, I'm building it up in my mind. I apologize. If anyone goes to this, they're going to like be so disappointed. They're so upset. <laughs> they're like, yeah, well, I don't know. Maybe they won't. It's a, it should be fun anyway. Yeah. And, then, and then they'll hold out like the hashtag wait for it. And then they'll see Carl's talk at 5 p.m. on the day everybody, after all the flights right. out have happened. And then they're going to be like, it was yeah. worth it. Carl told us about all worth it. systems. Yeah. <laughs> Right. Yeah. There's nothing. There's nothing better than listening to a talk about testing at 4 p.m. on a Friday. Oh, right. So sexy. <laughs> like, <laughs> I, I know I'm not getting any sexy, uh, you know, points for this, but that's all right. It'll it'll be uh, it'll be good anyway. Here, here's the talk I want to see. You ready? Ready for it? Yeah. I want to see neural networks generate Game of Thrones scripts. Right. Yeah. yeah. So uh, have you done any work on machine learning or some just basic natural language processing stuff by chance, yes. Joel? Okay. I've done very little. So I, I'm well, uh, me, it's very little. beginner. Uh, I booted up a couple projects, played with it, taught it some like Robert Frost poetry and was like, oh, man, okay. Like, yeah. 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 So there's this idea apparently, well, I've 
read about before, Markov chains, which allow you to sort of basically you have the computer read, quote unquote, the, a bunch of text. And then the Markov chain will predict uh, sort of the next word mm -hmm. given a specific word. And so it uses the text that it knows about to predict what the next word might be. And so you could do this. I've seen it done for like Harry Potter uh, right. style books. So the guy like ingested all the Harry Potter books and then wrote a Harry Potter book from his computer, which is cool. Uh, this is apparently the next level of that, which uses neural networks, which are, um, you know, that, that kind of unsupervised machine learning technique. And that's about the edge of my understanding. So I'm excited to see the rest of it and how it goes. Right. I just hope that like on the slide that he uses, that he uses the picture of the blonde dragon girl from Game of Thrones. Her storyline was the most interesting because I liked seeing the dragon. Like I like that yeah. little dragons like yeah. hung out with her and stuff. And I'm like, I want, I want, you know, less incest and more dragons. Like, can we, right. <laughs> let's do a little bit of that. Right. Right. Well, you know, Game of Thrones, everybody's got what they come for. So it's got to keep all the fans happy. I'm sure. <laughs> a pun intended. I'm sure. All right. So Markov chains. Oh, by the way, speaking of, uh, of, of blondes that we actually have coming on the show in the next two weeks, we have, um, coding blonde and she's a Instagram her that's her Instagram handle okay coding blonde and she is uh, you know a blonde programmer you know was working at Google and you know very smart and I was looking through you know her posts and I was like oh sweet this is like this is good and then I started looking through um, other posts of sort of like you know influencers I guess people with like a lot of followers and what they're doing on Instagram like I wanted to feel what the culture was like for programmers you know because I'm 30. How old are you? Uh, 29. Right there right. with you. So we're right there. So we've kind of like, you know, I had just had started my family, just had my baby girl like three months ago, first child and all that oh, stuff. Oh, congrats. Yeah. Thank you. And and so I'm kind of like, you know, to a, if a high schooler looked at me, they'd say he's old. Right? Which right. is crazy right. for me because I still feel the same <laughs> as I felt when I was like 13 in my mind. Right? Totally. And yeah. so it's blowing my mind like how life is working. It's unbelievable. It's very fascinating. So I... um I'm thinking about what the next generation of these people are doing. I was hardcore programming at, you know, 13 through 18 all the time. Right. And so I'm wondering like, what are these people doing now? Like what would Joel be doing then? Because we did not have any of this stuff. We did not have Facebook. We did not have Instagram. We did not have the iPhone. We did not have any of this. Right. We had like the Nokia, you know, like, right. come yeah. on now. If my battery pack. Yeah, you could play Snake on that phone. That was the best that part. That was it. it. That was it, right? So, so I'm wondering like, all right, well, well now that everyone can hang out online, let's go into whatever wherever their communities are and see what they're doing. And so I kind of looked them up on Instagram and and that's like a popular community for that age. Well, I mean, I'm on Instagram personally anyways, but I wasn't ever going sure. into the group the, like the culture of programming on Instagram, right? So I started to go peek into that corner. Here's what I found. Okay, there's about 10, 15 people in the programming space, like you know, with those type of hashtags that have you know over 20,000 followers, right? Only like 10 or 15, okay, people, at least in my country, right? At least in the United States. Right. And uh, in eight of them, eight or, eight or nine of them are girls, overwhelmingly female. Okay. Overwhelmingly female. And I was like, that's awesome. Like that's so, yeah. like who's poking around looking at that? Like I haven't read that article yet. Yeah. Yeah. It's interesting you mentioned that because um, one of the things I've noticed from speaking at these boot camps and, and meeting people who graduate from boot camps is the diversity level tends to be a lot higher than what 
I saw going to engineering school a few years back. And I, that's, that's both women, it's people of color, it's people from, you know, poorer backgrounds. It's, it's just all levels of diversity is, is better out coming out of boot camps. And I wonder if, um, I don't know if that has anything to do with Instagram at all, but I, I do think it's a, it's a really exciting trend because it's like, I finally have job applicants who are not just exactly like me and look exactly like me and think exactly like me, like it's been for the last few years. Um, so I, I'm, I applaud it more power to them. Yeah. I super don't care about like, you know, it's, it's, and it's, it's quite interesting for me because I care like so little about it, but at the same time, I'm like, you know, I kind of have to care like about it. And I'll give you some context <laughs> here is like, I care about the quality of someone's work and their attributes as like a motivated accomplished person. Like I don't care about your height, color, size, weight, sex. Like it doesn't matter to me. What matters to me is that you can produce, that you can produce value and grow what I'm trying to do and help help me on my way to helping others, right? Because that's what I'm doing. And so I just try to surround myself with people that produce value. And at this, and then I, so I started saying like, ah, oh, it doesn't matter. Just find the people with value. But then I realized like it, I actually came across it. Like, you know, because I am, um, anthropomorphism is, and you'll like this, right? If you don't know what it means already, because uh, you're super smart. It's when you associate that everyone else around you is similar to you. Right. So we do it with our dogs. We imagine they feel certain ways and yada. yada. Oh, I feel so bad for the dog. We do it with inanimate objects. We do it with everything, anthropomorphism. So uh, I thought everyone's kind of like me. Then I realized, dude, they're actually like sexist, racist people. (laughs) And I I came across, like, I was in a meeting one day. This is seven years ago, right? When I had this um, realization. I'm in a meeting one day and they're talking about hiring someone. And like, they actually, like didn't want this person because of one of their attributes. And I'm not going to say yep. which one it was because it's such a variety and it could be anything, but I like no joke jaw hit the floor. I went out of that meeting and I texted like this one friend of mine who's very into like advocating for that group. And they just, you know, responded back to me. I was like, yep. Cause I had been talking to them seven years ago and I said, ah, it's not a big deal. No, like, I was like, this is the modern age. No one, my, like no one in my group and my generation is like that. We're modern and coming up. And then I saw, so I was like, oh man, I was like, all right. So now, now I'm not going to say like, it doesn't matter. Now I'm not going to say that stuff. Instead, I'm just going to, you know, constantly set the example for validate people off of the quality of the value that they bring you and what they do. Um, and, and double down on that. Totally. Yeah. And it's not only the like at the hiring point at the point of hiring, you also have to worry about it from like a does the whole work environment we're creating. Is it allowing us to get and keep the best people? You know, so like I don't want to be in a work environment where I have to worry if uh, any woman who joins the engineering team might want to leave in six months because it's hostile to her like that. That would be a shame, especially if she's a great engineer. Right. Um, but even, even if she's just even if she's just an okay engineer, it's expensive to hire people. It's expensive to onboard people. Turnover. I don't want to yeah. lose them in six months. Yeah. So uh, there's a lot of selfish reasons to be pro, um, you know, having a diverse and friendly to all workplace. And so I'm a big advocate for it. And uh, anyway. So yeah. the rainforest, the rainforest, um, like some of the, the world's largest rainforest, and this like in science, you take any, you know, collection of organisms and what makes them stable is their diversity. Right. Yep. Right. So I, I, I love that like aspect of it. Like the rainforest being filled with so many different living things is what keeps it alive. 
right? Yeah. So I love it. So when you um when you write, you were writing a little bit about and talking a little bit about like marketing like products, yeah. right? So how do you feel like how do you do you do you have your hand in marketing over at your company or no? Uh, not too much. You know, we don't do a ton of um, marketing, mar true marketing. We do a lot more direct outreach and sales kind of uh, that's how we get our customers. So I'm less involved now. But uh, because I've worked with consumer sort of facing companies uh, quite a bit in the last few years, like I, I've gotten to see a lot and and understand a lot about marketing. And so uh, I always think it, it's an interesting space. It was also, you know, when I very first started this journey of figuring out I wanted to be a programmer and all that, I kind of thought I might want to do more of a marketing automation kind of role than a true programming CTO role. And so uh, I explored it a lot more a few years back. Um, and then, you know, now I, I kind of regularly keep up with what's going on in marketing, especially for startups and side projects and things like yeah, that. You're going to love Gary V then. Yeah. I, and it's, it's like Gary, is it Vanderchuk or something yeah. like that? Yeah. Yeah. So I have heard his name. I, I don't think I follow him directly right now, but I, I definitely have heard of him. Yeah. So we, we actually like took, I was listening to him for a couple months and we, we took his information and we're executing it with the podcast. And because for no reason other than to just share value with people. And I kind of, and I'm, I, I always call myself like a life scientist because all I do is go around testing things and seeing what works and then doing more of them and then figuring out what doesn't work and then moving forward, you know? So I said, Oh, well, you know what? Let's, let's take this guy who is clearly growing his company because it's huge. Right. And I've watched right. him grow it. And let's take the, and he sits up there and he goes, this is the advice. This is how you do it. Right. This is exactly how you do it. And I can tell you all of this because none of you will do it. <laughs> <laughs> right. The execution is the hard yeah, part. So I'm like, yeah. oh, you know what? I was talking about that, you know, with the execution of the very simple things over and over and over. I learned how to execute. It was difficult and I'm always working on it and growing on it. It's always a thing that I'm working on. But I said, you know what? Let's, let's take this guy's advice and execute it. Boom. Eight weeks, like tremendous results. Hmm. Okay, cool. Well, yeah, it's like... You don't you don't hire people because they've read the most books or had the most uh, you know theoretical understanding of things. You read you hire them because they have real hands on experience doing stuff, and that's the hard part of any job. Oh yeah, you get, we're always battling over here, thinking like whenever we come up with an idea, what what we'll see is like all right, let's do this, and then instantly the next words out of your mouth is a cue that builds up of the things that have to be done before you do it. Right. Yeah. We're like, oh, let's, let's live stream. Oh, we need this. Oh, now we need this. Oh, and now we need this. Now we need this. I'm like, Ooh, like it got out of control, you know, and then yeah. we boiled it down. And I said, look, you know, and, and we did it together because uh, I do everything with like my team. I said, let's just say like, how do we get the image on the screen? <laughs> like, yeah. let's like yeah. only do what's required. Let's MVP this thing and like only yeah. do what's Step required. Step zero. Right? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and then, so we did it. So do you have any, any big, uh, any other than the speaking and the writing, which mm -hmm. are, are you going to have, you're going to video that, right? I want to see, I want to see your talk. Uh, yeah. So occasionally they, they record video. I don't, I haven't asked the people at CodeMash, but if nothing else, I'll record a kind of a screen and audio capture if I had, if that's all I have available. So I'll have a, some recording of that. Uh, there's a couple of recordings I have on my blog. There's a tab at the top for speaking. I think that, may have some videos too. So, uh, getting some recordings there. Yeah. 
So there's uh, Amazon Basics, you know, like super cheap. Uh, they have a $10, like $12 tripod with like a $10 mm, yeah, iPhone yeah, attachment yeah. thing. Yeah, I was looking into that actually. That was my first thought. And then I was like, well, I don't know if I want to have one more thing to uh, deal with and make sure it works. Yeah, and carry it. So I, I could do that too. I, I'll I'll think about it for next time. <laughs> oh, I just want to see you. Like I want to see the talk. Yeah. You know, like if, oh. if you put your phone in do not disturb, uh, then you can use right. it pretty, pretty effectively. As long as like you make sure your do not disturb settings like are really strict because your wife right. will call you three times. And the recording of course, will yeah. Stop. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, totally. Uh, Amazon Alexa, you playing with that? Uh, you know, I have not. We, I play a little bit with the Google's assistants because I, I have a um, I have an Android phone, um, a Google Pixel, and they're you know pretty big on having their assistant do things. I, it does not work for me yet. <laughs> it is it is not it, it is not good i don't know robust enough to fit into any workflows that i use at this point i think there's a lot of potential there but like when i say something like you know add a to-do list item google wants to add it to its to-do list thing that i don't use like can i set i would like to be able to customize that and i hear you can do more of that with alexa is that right yeah alexa's you know pretty amazing we we have both at the office Okay. And we're primarily using them for hype music. <laughs> uh, <laughs> that's, that's worthwhile. Yeah. Maybe, maybe we'll have some Eminem on one and then some Eye of the Tiger on other. Oh, and then of course, right. and then we'll, we'll queue up with like a third one Thunderstruck so we can pan, you know, switch to it after it gets upbeat enough. <laughs> yeah. All right. Totally. Anything else that you want to communicate uh, to our like group, like to these, to these, we got modern CTOs, you know, crazy amount of us. And most of us went from developer CTO. Do you have any, maybe any advice or any other thing you want to communicate? Uh, I, you know, I think we've covered a lot of what I always give people as advice is just, you know, that, that networking is a huge part of this and meeting people and knowing people, staying in touch with people, but also, um, you know, reading and learning and staying on top of what's out there, but not getting too caught up in it. It's a, a daily uh, struggle. But yeah, if anybody wants to continue the conversation, I'm always happy to like chat, whether that's uh, just a little Twitter interaction or it's a longer email or somebody wants to hop on a phone call, all that's good. And you can put whatever contact info you have for me in the, the show notes, Absolutely. but Carl L. Hughes on Twitter and GitHub and all, all most other places. And please do not send dev related questions or CTO related questions to the actor, Carl Hughes. Right. Yeah, Carl Hughes with no L. He's probably not me. It's the guy in England who's an actor. If you want, if you're interested in an actor, though, he is the one to go to. I am not. Uh, so <laughs> there's a there's a Carl for everything. How, that's awesome. How, how how great would it be if like Carl Hughes, the actor, started looking into programming because everyone kept reaching out to him? That son of a gun. <laughs> that, as long as he doesn't change his branding. I mean, he's got an IMDb page. I can't right. compete with He's going to show up at your talk and he's going to start arguing with you about testing. Right. I, that would be a sad day for See, me. See, if you had your camera rolling though, you'd get, you're going to be YouTube famous, right? Right. Well, that's true. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> All right. Thank you so much for coming and sharing. Thank and you, talking. Joel. It's been like, dude, I, I love calls like this. Carl is awesome. Oh, I had a great time too, Joel. And I look forward to listening to uh, this episode, but other episodes mostly of the podcast, as well as um, the book. And it, is it does it have a due date? When yeah, it's so we out? just did editing and we're thinking 
that the safe the safe date is March, but we're imagining that's going to start shipping in uh, February. Thank you so much for listening to the Modern CTO Podcast. Share this. Get the word out. Thank you guys so much. I couldn't do without you. I appreciate it. You guys are the absolute best.